I said, are you ready? For what? The horror bros. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Horror Bros. I'm your host, Jason Johnson, along with... JT Johnson. That's him. And uh, tell me, JT, what 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 are we covering this week? Uh, this week, we're returning to the slasher genre. Uh, we were going to do Suspiria, but apparently right. it has fallen off the face of the goddamn planet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's good to be back this week. And uh, we're going to go back to the 70s, of course. That's what we're covering this season. This is 1977. Mm-hmm. And we are getting our first taste of a name that will reemerge on this podcast quite a bit. And that name is Wes Craven. Yep. Now, Craven had already made a name for himself in the independent horror scene of the 70s with a film called The Last House on the Left. The movie was a graphic and violent depiction of the loss of innocence. And truth be told, Craven actually wanted out of the horror genre from that point forward. Unfortunately, he couldn't get other projects off the ground, so he decided to make another low-budget horror film mm-hmm. uh, with producer Peter Locke. Uh, The movie is a mad and frantic film called The Hills Have Eyes. The film follows a white bread family on the run that gets stuck in the desert and has an unfortunate run-in with a family of cannibalistic mutants. Sound familiar? Well, we're about to talk about that. The main cast includes Russ Grieve as Patriarch Patriarch, uh, Big Bob Carter, Virginia Vincent as Ethel Carter, Susan Lanier as Brenda Carter, Robert Houston as Bobby Carter, Dee Wallace as Lynn Wood, Martin Spear as Doug Wood, James Whitworth as Papa Jupiter, the head of the cannibalistic family, Cordy Clark as Mama, Lance Gordon as Mars, and of course, horror icon and legend, Michael Berryman as Pluto. Yes. Jason, I'm under the impression this is the first time you watched this movie. This is the first time I had ever watched this movie. I had always um, seen it. You know, every video store on the planet had 20 copies of The Hills Have Eyes in the horror section. It just never never caught me for some reason, you know. Um, but then, like, I'm glad I went back and watched this film because it's, it, uh, man, you want to talk about a plethora of uh, of uh, stereotypical horror crap. <laughs> I like the, this movie, uh, by the way. I do like this movie. Uh, the The first time I saw it was actually about two months ago, actually. Yeah. Um, I watched it on Shudder. It's available on Shudder right now as of this recording. Yeah. If anybody wants to see it. And uh, Joe Bob Briggs, Last Drive-In, That's I watched that afterwards just to get some information on it. Yeah. Uh, as well as my usual sources. But the biggest influence on the film... In real life, I should say, there's plenty of uh, celluloid influences that we'll get to. Right. But uh, the biggest influence on the film in real life is the story of Sonny Bean. Now, Sonny Bean was a Scotsman that was the head of a 45-member clan in the 16th century that murdered and cannibalized over 1,000 people over the span of 25 years. Jesus Christ. Now, Craven said that not only was Sonny and his family an influence on the cannibal family, but he also saw how 
the civilized world caught them, tortured them, quartered them, killed everyone, men, women, children, right. the whole family. Right. And he wanted to show how quickly civilization could get savage as well. Right. And so that's kind of another right. theme of this movie. And it is, and that is true. As, as the film goes on, the civilized veneer of right. this family is slowly broken away. Uh, but the obvious film influence on this was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Uh, Craven later admitted that this was obviously the case as Chainsaw had been one of his favorite films. And yeah. you kind of have to understand Craven a little bit at this time. Craven actually was not allowed to see a single movie until he was in college. Yeah. He was banned from seeing movies as a child because he came from a deeply religious family. Yeah. Uh, which explains some of the family members here. The family that is in this film is actually based on his family. Mm-hmm. I don't know if his dad was as racist as the yeah. father in this which, one. Yeah, I'm going to talk about <laughs> that in a little bit. But but probably so. Uh, <laughs> but that was the major influence, and it, it's felt throughout. I will say that this film feels a little bit faster than yeah. Texas Chainsaw feels a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The pace definitely gets going a little bit quicker. Right. Um, one person that was asked to join the cast, but did not actually, uh, back to the Texas Chainsaw reference, is Gunnar Hansen. The actor who played Leatherface in Chainsaw was asked to take on a role in the film. I couldn't find which role he had been asked to play. Yeah. Probably the father at that point. He, he probably could have passed off as the father. Maybe Pluto. Yeah. Uh, he declined so he could return to Maine to focus on a literary career. And Hanson later stated that he did regret not having appeared in the movie. Uh, the script was actually a lot, was far different at first. It was set in New Jersey in 1984. That was then the future. Uh, <laughs> it was called Blood Relations, The Sun Wars. Uh, Peter Locke, the producer, had a girlfriend living in Vegas. And therefore he had to go, he was, he drove a lot in the desert. And so he asked Craven to make the setting of the film in the desert. Uh, According to Joe Bob, he said that Locke thought that would be cheaper for some reason. Right. Uh, I I saw that last night and I was like, really? But the setting was changed and the movie was shot in the Mojave desert. And what I was surprised by was that Wes Craven actually didn't like the title "The Hills Have Eyes." A right. lot of titles, a lot of titles were given up for suggestion, and that won by popular vote. Yeah, uh, but he he admitted he initially hated it. I think I mean, he obviously embraced it because when we get to the sequels and remakes later, I'll I'll mention that. But yeah, and the film was shot on sixteen millimeter film, cost about three hundred fifty uh, seven hundred thousand to make. Made upwards of twenty something million, I want to say. So right. the movie was actually a bigger hit for Craven than Last House. It was still an underground hit. So like, but this is like the second piece of the puzzle that gives him his underground street cred to where people are seeking him out in the eighties, and that's how we start to get rolling towards uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street. Which oh, I can't wait to get to that movie. Yeah, but uh, the movie was. Uh, given an X rating at the time and had to be cut down to achieve the R rating. Uh, the the film probably would have made more money 
But a certain Burt Reynolds film called Smokey and the Bandit came out yeah. a week later and destroyed it, along with anything Crushed else. Uh, and like I said before, in spite of the financial success, it is an underground horror hit. And it's actually gone on to become probably the quint- one of those quintessential uh, cult films. Where, like, if you're talking to horror fans, you're going to eventually uh, talk about The, the Hills right. Have Eyes. Right. But anyway, the the movie itself. Jason, I'm curious. This is your first impressions of the movie. What have you got? Um, I really like this movie. Uh, you could definitely see the chainsaw influence as far as the family and all. But more so, uh, it, the breakdown of um, of the civilized family into savages in order to, you know, you, you fight fire with fire, man. You got to, you know... And so um, they, they, uh, it really touches on something. I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but they've done studies on uh, uh, apocalyptic events. Basically, they take small areas of the world where things have gone to shit, basically, and had basically a, a, a localized apocalypse. And they've studied how society broke down in that. It takes about two weeks. And um, the savagery um, actually begins with the children. Children, um, they will typically uh, uh, do anything by the time two weeks has gone by to ensure that they're going to be able to eat and drink water and do what they need to do to live. And uh, it, they get very violent. Uh, so, and, and so I think it's really cool and neat to watch this film and see how, yeah, they, these, these people are under this much stress and basically going through this little mini apocalypse where their world has fallen apart and they have to, and they have to turn savage in order to, uh, defeat these people that are coming at them. Yeah. Now I won't lie. I will say this though. The family is a very stereotypical at the time, stereotypical yeah. family, 70s, white, white yeah. bread, 70s yeah. family. Um, behind the racist dad, and he's mostly memorable because yeah. of like the blatant racism that he has. Yeah. Uh, well, that and also a lot of straight up misogyny. Everything's the little lady and oh, his yeah. daughters can't do anything but cook for their husbands. And, you know, I these, mean, it's, yeah. these, yeah, I'm out here, my God damn family and their goddamn problems he's that yeah. kind of guy right and and what i love though is fucking fucking jets and a rabbit is enough to distract this fucker yes. into full-blown hitting the accelerator yeah and and not even thinking to lift off and and, and then they crash right and i get it you got to have them crash somehow but Right. Where the hell did the jets come from? Like, I understand they're yeah. trying to establish that there's a nearby base. A bombing they range. Yeah. They do that with the map, though. They're like, oh, yeah. here's there's a nuclear test site. Done. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. You know, have yeah. it. You know, it, it's kind of hinted that the cannibals put the dead rat or a rabbit or something in the road to make them crash. Right. But just go with that. Just just go with that. Just yeah. have, show show Pluto hauling out a dead carcass or something, and yeah. then like, oh shit. Yeah, there's um, that, and uh, um, it, it touching on the the dad's racism. So here's, and this is going to go a little deep here for a minute. Um, so in those early horror films, typically they had if they knew someone was going to die in the movie, 
one of the, you know, the supposed good people. They had to give them a bad thing, a bad trait to uh, make you go, it's okay, he's dead. So they made him, so they made him very misogynistic. But also, I'm going to point this out. Uh, within the first, what, 10 minutes of the film, drops a hard R N-bomb. Oh, so we know time. he's super like, racist. Holy shit. Yeah, <laughs> it, it hits you in the face. So here's here's what We're I have fairly to certain. Real quick, he's a retired cop, so I'm right, fairly right. certain. Yeah. I'm fairly certain he's abused black people. Yeah, I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah. I'm just 70s, saying he's probably, a retired cop. He's, yeah. he's an asshole. Uh, uh, Black Lives Matter would 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 have been on him like yeah. uh, well 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 right on white on rice yeah uh, I mean uh, uh, yeah but here's the thing though in order to make you okay with him dying they used him being a racist as his bad point so that means that at the time of this film anyone who is say right now today as we're recording this say seventy two years old. At that time, they would have been 29, which means that by 1977, they already knew that it was dumb and bullshit. So therefore, (laughs) when people sit there and look at you and say, well, it's their age, it's how they grew up, it was before a certain time, bullshit. Bullshit. (laughs) Bullshit. In 1977, we were already justifying killing people in movies by making them racist. I don't, if you're still racist today, fuck off. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of which, congratulations, President-elect Joe Biden and Amen, Vice President-elect brother. Kamala Harris. Amen. Uh, <laughs> Amen. But, um, but yeah, no, I thought the- that was funny when I saw that. When I when I saw that scene and it hits you in the face so hard yeah. with that, and I knew what they were trying to do with that, I was like, okay, we've known for a very, very long time that we don't need to be talking that way. Why the fuck are people still talking that way, you know? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that, now the rest of the family, it's not that they're actually forgettable. I, I said that I say that they're not as memorable, but eventually uh, the son— and the and the sister, yeah, uh, and the, da- the son of the daughter, they they step up to do what they have to do, and then Doug Wood, who damn near loses everything, yeah, man, that dude goes off. He's the one that like at the end, shit gets red, well, son. Well, you well you know but, he's uh, gonna go the fuck off. Uh, the the one guy, well, well, not Doug Wood, but you know the one brother is gonna go the fuck off when he's running through the desert. Doing somersaults and flips for some reason. Oh God! I, I was like, "What the fuck that. is this about? Are they just trying to show that, that he's athletic? I, what the fuck?" That's yeah. what I saw last night, and I was like, "That is an actor who was told to improvise walking down this thing, and he wanted right. to do something yeah. that would make him stand out, yeah, but would have no other fucking part in the, in the yeah. rest of the movie. It's not like he ninja kicks and yeah. flips and." kills family members with his mad skills. In fact, right. he's the worst fucking shot with a gun that I've ever seen. Unbelievably but, bad. Unbelievably but, bad. Uh, but, and I apologize, my phone is going off here. Uh, I still have people texting me uh, from the election. Yeah. But anyway, uh, one thing that Craven shows with this film, though, is he creates, sorry, far more active villains. And yeah. far more uh, energetic 
villains. And that kind of starts right. here uh, with this uh, with this thing. Hang on one second. I I don't know if you're hearing any beeps from my phone. No, no, no. We're not getting any of you're that not? audio, no. Okay. Because I have a friend who, and it's coming through on my yeah, headphones because of, of the computer. So yeah. I apologize. Uh, anyway, so the family is actually very uh, memorable. Yeah. Uh, Ju- Jupiter, uh, Papa Jupiter is like, they're all named after planets. And yep. he's like, oh, I'm going to gut your kids and eat their souls. He's got this mad cut. Yeah. And there's this, yeah. and of course, the film actually starts out with, the old man that is always set always up. Always an old man that to tell you, you, you gotta go the opposite way. You yeah. gotta go the. But like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, even he's hiding a little bit something more uh, as the old man saying, oh, no, 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 turn away, turn away. Yeah. Uh, Friday the his, 13th. You're all yeah. gonna die. Up well, there. see, that's the, that's the thing, though. It, that's the thing, though, is usually the. You're all doomed. Yeah. Guy, yeah, yeah. Usually. Yeah. Usually that guy just steps in <laughs> and steps out, and you never see him again. Right. He's just there, right. especially in Friday the 13th films, to be like, I yeah. found an eye. Like, okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> We're going to run away from you now, but we won't run away from anybody else that's dangerous. Just right. you. Just you. Just but, the guy who's actually trying to warn us <laughs> not to go up there. But like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, though, this guy actually has a connection to right. the monsters. In this case, he's the father? He's the father of, of Papa, Jupiter. Papa Jupiter. And Papa Jupiter went off and found himself, hey, if he can find love, yeah. so can you. Yeah. If anyone yeah. out there is wondering, why am I still single? I don't mean, worry. Yeah, Pop, all There's, Papa Jupiter had to do was kidnap a hooker, drag her into the desert, force her to become his slave and be, uh, be his wife. So, I mean, so yeah, you can do it, too. So, what you're saying is, I have a chance. You have a chance. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but, of course, as memorable as all the family members are, the most memorable one is Pluto. Yeah. Now, Pluto is played by Michael Berryman, and the reason he becomes the star of this series is he's put on the damn poster. He is yeah. put on every—he's got that unique look which we're going to get into why that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually he gave an interview. This is the Joe Bob Briggs interview where he actually said that they said, Hey, you want a million dollars in free advertising? We're going to put you on the poster and it's going to make you a star around the world. And Michael Berryman was like, and they were right. Yeah. <laughs> There's one thing. This yep. is an actor who, let me tell you, he's been in several things. He's been in episodes of the, the X files. He's been in star Trek. He's been in a lot of things. This dude, the year before had just been in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, yeah. one of the most celebrated movies of all time. Right. Now, granted, yes, he does have a bit part in that movie. Right. But this is the movie, The Hills Have Eyes, is the one he's recognized for because he was on the poster. Because if you watch the movie, yeah. Pluto is just another member of the family. Yeah, he's, he, not, he he's not a standout character. Yeah. He does not stand out like Leatherface. Yeah, he doesn't stand out yeah. like Leatherface. He doesn't become a signature character right. by the end of it. Uh, however, that unique look. It's his look. And, yeah. and his genuine acting ability. I, I like him whenever he's like, oh, oh, we're going to have baby. You need to, <laughs> you, know, gonna, yeah. you got some tender baby here. Yeah. <laughs> I love their accents there. Oh, they're yeah. in Nevada. They're in Nevada, but yet they have the uh, redneck Southern right. deliverance accent. Uh, but 
the movie itself, I, I will say this, I it is more frantic than Texas Chainsaw, but I think that for me, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was just a little bit more sophisticated than this movie. Yeah. In terms of in terms of like tone and consistency. Yeah. And, and on, honestly, on, honestly, scares too. Yeah. Now this movie's got some moments that are like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, especially the attack on the Winnebago. Right. Uh, that is pretty crazy. Yeah. But beyond that, it, it's mostly a tonal thing. They're they're in the darkness of the desert. You hear their voices, but honestly, their voices kind of somewhat take me out of it because they're so damn funny. Yeah. To listen to. But uh, I don't know. What do you think of the of the family that they find out well i think it's i i think it's i would love to know where craven grew up at what town he what like part of the country because hmm, i I used to know the answer to this yeah hang on while you talk oh yeah well i mean and the reason i say that is because i would not be surprised to find out it's somewhere in the south because these are largely a uh uh one of those typical I, hillbilly families that you know you you hear I about. I know he's not from the south. Yeah, uh, I know that for a fact. But Let me I, see if I can I pull just, it up. Here. I can't. I, I've got to wonder if he's somewhere. It, like if he doesn't take at least some uh, uh, inspiration from like the, you always hear. But especially you and I, we grew up in Arkansas, and you always hear about up in the Ozarks. Some parts of the Ozarks, there's these families that they live deep up in the mountains. They no one really ever talks to them. You might see one come into town every now and then, you know, out of this family. Um, and so, I, yeah, there's got to be some of that involved there. Uh, there is, but it's not a location. Yeah, he was he was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay, and actually worked as a a teacher in Philadelphia. Yeah, um, but his father was a strict. Baptist family. Aha. Yes. That's probably a I lot think of the we history. understand a lot about that. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ, do we ever. Yeah. Uh, uh, fire and brimstone, God damn it. So, yeah, yeah. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm going to say religious upbringing. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it plus, I mean, I'm, there's, I'm sure it's just making them as primal as possible. Uh, I, there's the, the, the story, I will say this much, the story the old man tells about how Papa Jupiter ended up in the mountain and uh, living there with his wife and actually making a family and all. It's actually a really cool story in that he was the that- father with the and the mother and they went out and bought that little small gas station in the middle of the desert, you know, it was last gas for 250 miles type of thing. And uh he tells the story of them going into town, him going into town one day cuz he had had this beastly boy born, but thing had more hell than you do right now, you know, that type of thing, you know. And uh, and then he comes home one day after he's like ten years old or so, and sure enough, he had he had you know I think killed his mother or something, and then that's how he got the big scar on his face. His dad took a hammer or something and hit something him. Something to him, yeah. Right? Okay, and hit him in the face, yeah, and it and it split his face wide open. He thought he had killed him. He thought the kid was just out in the desert dead, but uh, ended up not being that way. Um, I think that that. That whole backstory, yeah, 
just it felt to me as as a person who aspires to be a writer uh, and is a writer yeah. at least of nonfiction stuff that I could tell was the English literary professor going I need backstory right I need yeah. backstory yeah. and that's the thing you'll get from Craven a lot of Fuck horror yeah. direct <laughs> a lot of horror directors will give you the bare minimum of what you need to establish the monster. Right. Uh, Michael Myers, as we've already discussed, right, is just this kid that went nuts. Uh, Jason Voorhees yeah. is just a, a, a kid that is avenging his mother the whole time. The, you know, it's very simple, like, here's your monster, here's what they do. Craven will give yeah. you backstory. He'll give you complications with these villains. I mean, Freddy Krueger is actually one of the more better-developed characters as we'll get to in, in nightmare on elm street but that's just a good example yeah. uh even even later on in the scream films the ghost face killers have backstories right. and, right. and and connections to what's going on at the time and so that's also something that you find in this movie this family has a story in fact i would say they have more of a story than the family we're following yeah yeah, because the family we're following, we're just supposed to automatically recognize. Yeah. All we know is is that some aunt died. She left them a silver mine, a piece of land that had a silver mine on it that's been dried up for years. But by God, they're going to go out there and see if they can claim some silver out of it before they head to L.A. They, my thing, just head to L.A., man. You don't need a piece of land in the Mojave Desert. Another thing that another thing that's similar to Texas Chainsaw because the right. whole reason they're Heading out is two yeah. family members need to check a, a grave. Right. So he basically just took the Toby Hooper playbook for this movie and just was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Right. And I think that's another reason this Wes Craven film doesn't work for me as much as later Wes Craven films is later yeah. Wes Craven. It's going to be him. It's going to, he's, he's in the business. He's had enough experience. He's had story. Uh, he's had time to write movies so he, he right. gets his craft down and, and he becomes better. This movie, again, it's not bad. It, it's that great, grainy, independent, just gritty movie right. that defined 70s horror right. pretty much and and shot on a budget. And, you know, hell, the fact that it even got made is a miracle in and of itself. One of those kind of situations. So... uh there are a couple of things I want to mention. First one is is Michael Berryman. You talked about how much he has worked. Uh, now, he, of course, the look has, of course, given him a very, uh, uh, a career in, in, in horror because he does not look normal, and that's because he had 27, 20, or 26, 26 different birth defects whenever he was uh, born. Uh, in the main one, um, the, the big one was, uh, hyd um, hypohydrotic, uh, ectodermal dysplasia. Yeah. All the 20, yeah. the 26 birth defects, yeah. the source of those defects it's, is. Yeah. It's hypohydrotic uh, ectodermal dysplasia. Yeah. And, um, in which, you know, tells you that he has no, uh, hair. He has no ability to grow fingernails. He has no ability to sweat, which filming in the desert was, a fucking nightmare for him, but they to everything not being able to sweat. But to every to his credit, everyone who worked on this film said 
he was a trooper. He just got well, up, did the, what he had to fucking do, man. The and, ironic, well, the ironic yeah. thing is, is he was the only one in the film that had, had any outdoorsman experience. Yeah. In the real world, yeah. he's an NRA gun toting hunting yeah. dude. Yeah. Now he's not a ranting raver or anything. No, like, no, nothing like that. No, he's see, just so when a, I mentioned he's just your average hunter, you know. Hunter, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, and yeah, he. But yeah, he had a he's had a long career. I mean, he's, that he's been able to well, live off of. Well, he's seventy. <laughs> he's seventy one uh, this year. Um, and I looking at his filmography, I don't think I saw a year where he did not have a movie coming out, and sometimes two or three movies. And he, um, you know, uh, uh, well, one of the biggest films he was yeah. that you never saw him in was The Crow. Yeah, he was supposed to be in the crow. Right in that movie, there were supposed to be a scene where there's two scenes really involving the skull cowboy, and yeah. the skull cowboy is actually the explanation in the comics for right. what brings Eric Draven from beyond the grave. He's the one who raises him from the grave, right, and sends him on his revenge mission. And then he shows up at the end to say, "You've had your revenge against those who've killed you. You can't go any further." If you go now, you're going to be mortal. It's basically supposed to establish that he's mortal by the end. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Instead of it just being discovered like it is in the movie. He got cut from that film because, I'll admit, I've seen the deleted scenes with the Skull Cowboy. Yeah. Would not have fit in that yeah. <laughs> movie. Yeah. It would have seen, that would have been just, just totally a different. step too above yeah. in that supernatural world. But yeah. that was Michael Berryman. So he's got yeah. a connection to that. In fact, one of the saddest stories is, when uh, Brandon Lee got shot and killed yeah. in The Crow by accident due to a, a prop error, yeah. he the tabloids knew that someone named Michael had been the one who shot the gun that killed Brandon Lee. Yeah. And they knew that there were three actors named Michael, Michael Berryman being one of them. Yeah. And he got a call from the National Fucking Inquirer yeah. saying, were you the Michael that killed Brandon Lee? And he's just now like heard the news and stuff right. like that. And right. he just like, I got to go and yeah. just hung it up. Uh, so like he, so he's even got that connection. Yeah. I mean, the dude's been around forever, but, and looks more in shape than I do today at 30 fucking six. Yeah. Yeah. Son oh yeah. Bitch. He's, he's, uh, he's kept himself oh, in shape. Gonna... He does his movies. He's, yeah, he's doing great. Oh, he did such a great job, man, handling his birth defects. Yeah, fuck you. He's yeah, better yeah. than me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um the thing is is uh uh though the the true stars uh, well, especially one of them of this film. There are two dogs that appear in this film. Now, one of them is killed very early on. It was very violent and it's nasty and I, I I don't like that. I don't like it when when animals are killed in movies. It makes me sad. I just had a dog die, so I'm very sad. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Uh, oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. Oh shit! But no, I mean, it's, I get it. You know, it had to happen for the movie. I mean, it is part of the show. But uh, of course, the other dog goes missing, and you're assuming it's dead the whole time. Then all of a sudden, this dog kills one of the members of the family. The first one to kill one of the family members, right? Is the dog <laughs> now? Not. The, this whole time, it, it got to add in here. This family has been communicating. the 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 good family has a CB radio. We'll, and the we'll bad, call the bad family the cannibals. And the, uh, and the cannibals have uh, the cannibals have uh, walkie talkies that they're walking around on. 
Now, this dog not only kills the guy, he looks down, and they actually show this in the movie. He literally looks at the radio and gives it an inquisitive head turn and decides that, yeah, I think my people could use this to communicate. <laughs> Grabs the fucking radio, goes and finds one of the members of the family and gives it to them. This dog, and then and then is responsible for Pluto's ultimate death later. This dog is amazing. That fucking dog is it, it kicks Lassie's ass all over the fucking place. Oh, this uh, is Rambo's dog. Yeah. God damn it. Oh yeah. Not, yeah. Not a this white is, bread family from fucking Philly yeah, or wherever no, the hell they come this from. This dog. This dog was trained uh, by the best. An expert. <laughs> an expert in guerrilla warfare. A man who <laughs> learned to live off the land. <laughs> Eat food that would make a billy goat puke. I love, <laughs> I love that goddamn speech. That is the best uh, fucking speech ever in a movie. You and you guys will be will be talking about that speech uh, in an episode later on of a, of another show we're going to do. But but there's more to come on that. We're, we're not going to mention it right now. But but yeah, yeah. He's the best. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're all job. fucked. His job was to kill. <laughs> Win by attrition. John Rambo was the best. God damn it. I'm going to go watch all the Rambo films now. <laughs> You're fucking ain't right. <laughs> but anyway, I will say, though, that the ending of the movie works really well. The roles are, have fully reversed. Now the, the civilized family has fallen into chaos. I actually like yeah. to think that the survivors of this go on to become the cannibalistic family that takes over for the family they just killed. Like they're just, yeah. they're still stuck yeah. in the desert. They're not yeah. rescued. Yeah. They blow up the fucking Winnebago. Yeah. Could have gotten yeah. them out. All sources so. of communication <laughs> are gone. The, the, yeah, yeah. They just like, well, yeah, they become so, uh, so primal by fighting primal people that they have to, that, that they, it's just what they, they become the very thing that they just destroyed, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, they're the family that took over there. I got to mention, too, though, that uh, though she's not really a standout in this movie at all. Dee Wallace is in this fucking movie, man. I was going to mention yeah. her. Yeah, Dee Wallace. Dee Wallace yeah. will go on to later fame in Cujo. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, the Howling? No. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 I think I'm pretty sure. It. Yeah. She, she, she is labeled as like a bona fide scream queen. Like right, she because of her time with horror. Now I can't remember. She's the mother in ET, right? Yes, sir. That's what I see. That's what I remember her most from. Right, one of the most watched films of my childhood. Yeah, uh, was ET uh, with a terrifying monster of its own. But anyway, maybe we'll cover that on the show one day. <laughs> yeah. Fucking alien comes and corrupts a little boy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Although I will say this, since we're not actually going to cover ET because it's a wholesome family film, that fucking ending is pretty fucking scary. When the FBI agents come in, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh huh. Oh yeah. Although yeah, yeah. Hey, also she's yeah, also fuck off her. Uh, she's also <laughs> in a critical masterpiece. Uh -oh. uh, critters. I know what you're. Critters. Critters. Yeah, yes. that's the one I was trying to think about. Yeah. Was like. Yeah. Um, which I need to watch again. I don't remember critters at all. I know I've seen yeah. it. It's just, but it's been so. Oh God, long I was I was a little feller whenever I watched Critters, yeah. you know. And I I remember renting the Critters where they go to space with Dad, which I think is like Critters three or four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 
that's another one of those that you like. You rent and grab some popcorn. Maybe we'll get to one of those at some point. Uh, but we do know that the family didn't actually starve in the desert, Jason, because yeah. there were sequels. Well, a sequel and a couple other yeah. films. Yeah. But before I get to that, I want to go ahead and rate this film out of four walkie-talkies. Okay. How many walkie-talkies do you give The Hills Have Eyes? Well, I'll let, I'll let you, you give it walkie-talkies because I'm going to go a different route with my rating system. So I'll, let, I'll right. give you walkie-talkies. But uh, I'm going to say uh, I would give this um, out of um, out of five extremely well-trained and loyal dogs. I give it... <laughs> I'll give it four extremely well-trained and loyal dogs. It loses a little bit for me, but not much. I will give it three walkie-talkies. Three walkie-talkies. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, the dog ran off with the other walkie-talkie. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there were sequel. There was a sequel. It, it is actually directed by Wes Craven, and it actually yeah. continues the story of Bobby, uh, the son, yeah, and apparently him and Ruby, yeah, are the ones that hooked up after all this was done. Ruby, for those okay, who don't yeah. know, is the cannibal that actually rebels against her family. Right? Yeah, she and wants they, out. Yeah, and in the sequel, they are raising the baby from the first movie. Right, and it's weird. Like from what I've heard, I actually haven't seen it, but yeah. from what I've heard, it's got like this weird uh, fuel and races, and and it takes. Somehow Pluto survived because there was no way you were going to have a Hills Have Eyes movie without Michael Berryman, at least yeah. in this series. And uh, it's considered one of the worst films ever made. It came out yeah. right after the success of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Wes Craven wanted to make a series for himself, something that could have gone on for many, many films. Right. That did not work out because this movie sucked. It sucked so bad. Yeah. That Wes Craven pretty much disowned the movie, and I don't he, think he Wes was Craven just, was ever known for getting a series after that. I mean, I don't think I can't think of a series of films no, that uh, Wes Craven I did mean, after nothing. Nothing screaming in my head at the moment. No, uh, for anything no. that he would do later on. No. But, <laughs> I mean, of course, we're talking about Scream. We're going to come to it in right. the nineties. Or a but, burning question. Uh, huh? Anyway, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Craven did try to get a third film in the series made, but it never happened. But he did remake the film as a producer uh, in 2006. Now, this was at the time I had already fallen off the wagon with horror films because of remakes and reboots. Right. But to give the film its due, I have heard that The Hills Have Eyes remake is actually a pretty good remake. I have not seen it. I have no idea if it is. Uh, but then the very next year, another critically panned, uh, critically panned sequel written by Wes Craven and his son, Jonathan was released in 2007. That's yeah. the last we've heard of the Hills have eyes. I don't think there's any plans to do anything else with it. it it's such a distinctly Wes Craven project that I don't think anyone really wants to tackle it. It's just, it's known as his underground hit for a very good reason. Right. Um, Although they are doing Scream 5, so anything is possible. Right. <laughs> but yeah, ultimately though, it is a film that is worth watching if you are a student of horror films, I would say. 
It's it's if you want to see it's like you've seen the hits, you've seen some cult hits. Now you really want to see and and you know who Wes Craven is because you've seen some of his other hits. Now you want to see where Wes Craven started, and yeah. of course that would be the last uh, last house the on last the left, which yeah. which by the way would have made this list. But when I made this list, which I haven't seen that film either, full yeah. disclosure, but. Uh, would have made the list, but when I was making a list, it was not available on streamers anywhere that yeah. I could find. Now yeah. it is. I think it's on Hulu of all places. Hmm. But then there's this movie. It's The Hills Have yeah. Eyes. It's it's the film that gave uh, Craven his underground sort of street cred in the yeah. horror genre and would eventually lead to many, many, many great things where he... Uh, it, it's the first time that Craven helped redefine a genre. In this case, he was he was along with Toby Hooper and John Carpenter out there making the, the films that would go into the mainstream in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and then he would redefine it again in the 80s. We'll get to that later. And then he would redefine it again in the 90s. This dude is the guy who kept the horror genre alive for yeah. three decades, people. Yeah, I mean, and, you, go from the, you go from Last House on the Left and, and Hills Have Eyes to, uh, uh, you know, of course, Nightmare, uh, yeah. Scream. Uh, remakes Hills Have Eyes, you know. I mean, th- yeah, I mean, the guy, he, for someone who wanted to leave horror, it sure did him well. And he, and he, uh, he did it well and it made him a lot of money. But of course, you know, he that's also, because it's a lot of credit from guys like us who love these movies. That's also because every single time he steps out, uh, of the horror genre, oh boy, is it. Not good. Uh, yeah, he he made music for the heart in 1999. Yeah. He managed to fuck up a Meryl Streep movie. Yeah, like what the hell? Yeah, but uh, yeah, Last House on the Left, Hills Have Eyes, Swamp Thing in '82. Oh, um, great movie, man! I love and, Swamp Thing. Uh, a, a a movie that's become more of a cult following in recent years. Shocker, uh, yeah. with Mitch Pileggi. I think that's one of the reasons because he would go on to fame in X Files. So. Right. Shocker kind of became a hit after that. And my, one of my favorite films of his that I'm going to mention, because we're not going to get to it for a while, so I just kind of want to give it a little teaser, a little shout-out, because we will get to it. Yeah. The People Under the Stairs. Yes. Yeah. Which, to me, is his most underrated movie ever. It yeah. came out in 91. It kind of came and went. And then, eventually, right. it did find an audience. But, my God, yeah, it, it deserves a, a bigger one. Yeah. It deserves a bigger one. It took a while. His, and his... Uh, just to give a little uh, memoriam for him, uh, his last film was in 2011 with Scream 4. Uh, he went mm-hmm. out uh, on probably his most famous, uh, or at least most popular creation, our directorial effort. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, he would die of a brain tumor in 2015 at the age of 76. Yeah. Uh, but hey, you've secured your place on the Mount Rushmore of horror films absolutely and and on this veterans day that's coming up i salute you (laughs) speaking of which ladies and gentlemen my brother is a 20-year veteran of the united states air force and happy veterans day because this is uh, obviously hitting on on veterans day so um yeah in fact if y'all want to hear also coming out uh tomorrow after uh, in fact i'm going to edit this and put both this and that out uh first thing tomorrow 
uh, we're doing a special Veterans Day episode of the Big Sad, and uh, which uh, Jack had been wanting to do this. Uh, he interviews me about my career. And oh, so, okay. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, it ended up, we did one show on it. It had to be within an hour because it is going to be our Wednesday episode for KZSM.org. Um, and so we had to cut it short. We only got to a certain point in my career, so we're actually going to do a two-parter. We're, this Sunday, we're going to record uh, another uh, part two of the veterans thing. I, Jack was... He, I, I don't think Jack realized his how interested he was going to be once I got started telling stories. So, so if y'all <laughs> want to check that out, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. So go over and check that out. And, and to anyone else out there listening, he is not giving away trade secrets. Yeah, I, no, I, I'm no, sure no. Sure of it? No. Uh, I, in fact, there, there, <laughs> there are a couple things where I had to say in there. You know, hey, I, I can't go too deep into this. I can't tell you where I was when I was doing this, but you know. Stuff like that. But, but yeah, no, as far as uh, – it was just fun to sit down and talk about it. Because we mention all the time on various shows that I was in the military for 20 years, but nobody really knows the story of how I went from being military to stand-up comedian to podcaster. It's not a normal line <laughs> to take. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. I think people will really like it. Which, of course, you know, I, I like to think of it this way, though. I mean, it's a big chunk of your life, and it's not to be ignored. Yeah. But the 20 years in the Air Force was kind of a detour from who you probably oh, really are yeah. as a person. Absolutely. Like, and we discussed that in there. In fact, and, and this Sunday, when we record again, we'll probably discuss it uh, a lot more because that's going to get to the second half of my career uh, where I just started kind of realizing that, yeah, I'm, I'm – uh, I'm I'm a hippie dippy dude, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, and by the way, I want to apologize to the Facebook group and the Facebook page for last week. I didn't uh, get around to posting uh, the last ep- the latest episode that we did. And me I didn't either, because I'm lazy. Well, no, <laughs> I had a lot I, happened last week. So I well, a lot happened up. last week. You had a lot of things personally yeah. happen, uh, which we've actually mentioned. Your your yeah. dog died. I mean, yeah. it's no secret. And love you, Frankie. But also last week, there was something going on in the news that was yeah. taking up everyone's time yeah. and, and, yeah. and patience at times. But speaking of which, I know this is not a political podcast, but again, I, I, I want to congratulate President Elect Joe Biden and Vice President Elect Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. I sure because I know they're vote. listeners. Uh, yeah, they, oh, yeah, they, yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, I just want to throw out a personal congratulation. Right. But I, but I definitely, you know, I, I definitely didn't vote for Trump's ass, though he could actually be a listener because he's like that. But anyway. Right. Uh, <laughs> Did he but, say something about a racist guy in the hills have eyes? I've always related to that character. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I was born a rich man in New York. Yeah. I always related well, you know, racism. racism is uh, very near and dear. <laughs> I'm, I'm always related to the deserts of Nevada. How do you think I have this complexion? It's not a spray-on tan. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, enough making fun of that ass hat. Yeah. Uh, soon we won't have to make fun of him anymore. I did like, though, where Alec Baldwin said that uh, I've never been more overjoyed to have lost a job. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was his his take. Yeah. But anyway, just went off that that congratulations because the the election did yeah. happen. 
this is not going to turn into a political podcast at, by any stretch, by any no, means. No. I don't really care where you fall left or right. Just uh, we just got through an election. So with that said, uh, anything else about the hills have eyes, Jason? No, I don't really have anything. I think we've come down to the end of this thing. Uh, real quick, I would like to say, not only do we have the big sad and horror bros, but also check out uh, um, uh, that there sportscast with me and Jack Neal. Uh, give a plug there for that. And uh, yeah, that's about it for me. And soon, one day soon, I swear to God, I'm going to come up with a horror film blog where I'll write reviews. I just, I just need more time. I was supposed to do it like a month ago. Yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> you had the month of Halloween with all that stuff you were doing for that, and then you had, uh, and then you had uh, the election pop up. We, we, we. It's just a, it's a hectic time, hectic time. <laughs> and then it's just you know 2020, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which so, oh, by the way, sorry, real quick, we we sent a tribute out non horror related to Sir Sean Connery uh, in yeah. the last episode. And this week, the other half of that SNL sketch, man, we yeah. got to give him tribute. Yeah. Uh, Alec, Alex Trebek of Jeopardy passed away. We knew he had cancer, so we kind of, and we knew that this was going to happen, but it's still, it, you don't prepare for it. It's just yeah. something you don't yeah. prepare for. Because that dude was a constant in our lives. Right. Even if right. even if Jeopardy was this show that was too smart for you, and you, do, you can never answer questions right so fuck jeopardy uh it's on in the background i don't want to hear it like it, it could be that for some people i'm not smart people that's yes. what i'm saying here but, <laughs> or it could be religious I, I religiously watched by millions of people uh, a friend of mine jared ship loved jeopardy um but also he was just that cool calm one of those cool calm voices in the background on your television set if if anything and was in the biz for God, 50 years, I think. And, and Jeopardy was like 40, I think 40 some odd years uh, or 30. When did he take over? Was it the eighties? Oh yeah. When they, when they revived it. Yeah. It was a revival. Very early. It was show. 82, I think is whenever Somewhere he, around there. Yeah. 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 And, and so, yeah. So I did want to send a, a, a shout out to Alex Trebek there because yep. man, that that's a loss. Yep. Well, I guess I'll leave it on this. Remember, folks, if your car is broke down in the desert and you need to go off walking for help, make sure you don't walk until you actually find someone could help. Instead, grab a bunch of random things like a spool of wire and, uh, you know, just various other things so that you can set up a way to create a trap to blow up the cannibal family that is actually trying to hunt you down and kill you. And, and the next that, day, and the next day, go back to that army surplus store, but do this. That, that's what he calls it. Yeah. Don't forget your dog. Yes. They and could uh, save your life. And with that, I'll remind you all love each other. Bye. Later.